All right, well, last week we began this series beginning, because, and this is an important series because at some point along the way of life, all of us find ourselves at a new beginning, and many of us are finding ourselves at a beginning right now of some sort of some kind. For, for many of us throughout the course of life, it can be a, a brand new beginning of something new, a new beginning when it comes to faith, reevaluating and looking at what you believe, a beginning of a marriage, beginning of parenting, beginning of grandparenting, a new career, or maybe just maybe even right now, rebuilding life in the middle of a pandemic. So we're looking to the beginning, the stories of the beginning of humanity and the beginning of faith in God. And last week we looked to the very beginning, the story of creation. And as God said, it was all good. It was all good. It was all good. And we learned this important truth. Everything God does is good. Everything God does is good. Absolutely everything God does is good. Everything God created was good. Everything God starts is good. Everything God speaks is good. And everywhere God leads is good. That God is wholly good. Everything God does is good. And so we can trust him with our lives. And we said that if God can create that much good out of nothing, how much good could God create out of your life placed in his hands, your life surrendered and trusted to his loving hands. And so now if you were if you were with us last week, I told you that I had two hopes. And the first is that we could be reminded just how good God is. That sometimes I think through through the last couple of months and through the course of life, we can forget how good God actually is. And so I hope that last week we could be reminded that from the beginning God has been and always will be good. And my second hope was that maybe we could raise the tension and raise a little bit of our frustration and, and, and ask ourselves the question, well, if God created so much good, why is what we experience so much bad, so much not good? What, like, what happened? And we asked that question last week, and I told you that we were going to pick up right there. What happened? So what, what happened? Something pretty big must have happened to go from perfect creation to everything that you've experienced in life, the hurt that you've experienced in life, the pain and the brokenness that we've all experienced at some point along the way of life. Something pretty significant must have happened if God created all good and what we experience now is so much the opposite of that. And so we kind of ask the question, if God created all good, why does murder exist? If God created all good, why does disease exist? If God created all good, why are there hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and fire tornadoes? Because we're in 2020 and 2020 brought us fire tornadoes. Why do murder hornets exist? If God created all good and starts all good, why does divorce exist? If God created all good, why does human trafficking exist? If God created all good, why did slavery ever exist? And if God created all good? Why did racism ever exist? And why does it still exist? And if God created all good, why on why oh why does Gray's anatomy exist? So, so last week I told you, and, and, and you realize this yourself, we all, we all realize this ourselves, that, that if, if God created all good and what we experience is so bad, something significant must have happened. And so today we're going to figure out what happened. And we're going to look at what happened starting in Genesis chapter Two, right in the middle of the chapter, it says this, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it. I love that there's this phrase, to work it. And I'm imagining like God told Adam, hey, work it. And he's like, like dance? He's like, no, 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 you, you work the fields. Okay, so work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Here's the crazy thing. In God's perfect creation, one rule. 
In God's perfect creation, when God had everything exactly as he wanted it, there was one rule. And the rule was to protect man from knowing what could kill him. See, eating didn't kill him. Up to that point, he had only known good. Knowing evil would kill him. Would kill him. This brings us to an important truth. God's rules are never meant to punish. God's rules are always meant to protect God's rules are for your good. They are not random. They aren't for God to stick it to you and tell you what, not, what you can't do. They aren't for God to withhold something good from you. God actually knows what is best for you, even when you don't know what's best for you. God actually knows what's best for you, even when you don't know what's best for you. God knows what you don't know. God sees what you can't see. And when God says hands off, it is not random. It is not punitive. It is to protect the life that he has given you and that he's given me. God's rules are never to punish. They're always to protect. In verse 18, we're told, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's the first time in creation narrative that we hear God say something was not good. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. This is where it actually started for a single guy um, who's been living single for too long to get a dog, to get a dog, and to treat it like it's the girlfriend, okay? This is this this started at the very beginning. So a, so a single guy gets a dog, and then pretty soon the dog is sleeping on a body pillow in the bed next to the dude, and all the friends are looking at it going like, is he trying to replace a single lady with Rufus over there? And the other friends are whispering, yeah, but we're not supposed to talk about it. We're not, it's, it's weird, but we're just supposed to let it happen because we love this guy. But as you find out in verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. And then we're told this at the end of chapter two, both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. Apparently the Garden of Eden had no mirrors. That's, that's, that's what we learned from that verse. No, but but, the, but the, this is fascinating. Man lived in a perfect creation for a time without a woman and man was lonely. Perfect man, man perfect man needed a perfect companion, a perfect match. And so man and woman, they were created at different times. They were created differently, but they were created equally. They were, there, there, there is no above and, and below and, and superior and inferior. And sometimes in, in, in religious circles, we use stories like this to infer something that God never implied. They were created different, but they were created as equals. Perfect man and perfect woman. And I, and, and, and I, and I, I know this. I, I know how to pander to, to the ladies. And so I just want to say here, men, we were made from the dust. Ladies were made from ribs, okay? And any guy who's been to Rudy's knows that women were made from the better stuff, okay? And so that's all, that's all I want to say there. Going on in, in chapter three, we're, we're told this. This is the what happened chapter, starting in verse one. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? 
Now, there, really quickly, there are two general explanations for what this serpent is, for who this serpent is, and the first one is really, 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 really fun. I don't know how many of you watching right now, I don't know how many of you watched the show Ancient Aliens. It is a really fun show. It's on the History Channel, because, which, is, which is an interesting thing because apparently when you call something the History Channel, you get to play pretty fast and loose with what history is. But it's this show that where they talk about the idea, the theory out there that ancient aliens are responsible for everything that happened in the ancient world. And so there, there are guys on there who are, have absolutely crazy hair. There are guys on there who are talking about extraterrestrials who can't say extraterrestrials, extraterrestrials. I think we know who we're talking about. There's, like, there's these guys who are, are, are talking about this stuff. And when they talk about this story, they say, well, we find it too hard to believe that this was a, a devil you know, that took over a, a serpent's body. What we think this is, this is a representation of the reptilians who once inhabited the planet. And, this was, and, and, when, and when humans evolved, this was the reptilians' first shot at trying to conquer and take over and deceive and, and go to war with the human beings. That's something that the ancient alien theorists believe, and surprisingly, a lot of scientists and a lot of people who really buy into evolutionary theory believe. The second classic explanation is the classical Christian explanation that this was, in fact, the devil personified as a serpent, and this was the devil, the enemy of humanity and the enemy of God, trying to undermine the relationship between mankind and God. And I just wanted to bring that up because there are two explanations. And when people try to explain what happened here in the Garden of Eden without an enemy in a cosmic battle between God and evil and between good and evil, you actually end up in a place that is far harder to believe than, than, a, than a battle between good and evil, and a devil, and a god, and Satan. I mean, like you end up in some really, really weird places. Now, story goes on in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No, no. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the entire temptation, and this is the ultimate question behind every temptation. Can you really trust God? Can you really trust God? For the serpent, the accusation here is incredibly simple, but incredibly powerful. You can't trust God. God is holding out on you. God is holding out on you because he knows if you eat this fruit, you will be like him and he wants to have power over you. He wants to reign over you. He wants to rule over you. He doesn't want an actual friendship with you. You can't, you can't trust God because God is not ultimately good. And if I could... What's at stake every time you're tempted and every time I'm tempted is the same thing that was at stake at the very first temptation. Every time we're tempted, we are ultimately tempted to, to force, force to choose. Will we believe and act as if God really is good and can be trusted with our lives? Or will we believe and act that God is holding out from us and so he can't really be trusted because ultimately he is not truly good? The same thing is at stake every time I'm tempted and every time you're tempted. Story goes on in verse 6. It says this, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Man was faced with a choice. The woman ate first, the man ate second, but man ate because man was faced with a choice. Man had been alone before without the woman. Adam knew that to not eat would cause a separation between him and the woman that he could not and would not bear. He would not be alone again. And because of, no, because of he, him knowing what it would mean to not eat, he made a choice. He, man chose connection with the created over connection with the creator. Man chose connection with created over connection with the creator. This is what sin is. And mankind has been doing this ever since. And for every time that we choose the created over the creator, we lose and things fall apart. For Adam and Eve, they knew immediately that things weren't right. They knew immediately something had gone wrong. They knew immediately good and evil. They got exactly what the snake had promised and they got exactly what God had tried to protect them from. They were aware of evil that humanity was never supposed to know because man chose connection with the created over connection with the creator. And the same is true for all of us today. Whenever we choose created over the creator, we lose and things fall apart. And choosing the creation can look like a lot of different things, but it always looks something like this. Choosing the temporary over what's eternal. It looks like choosing the here and now over the one who matters forever. It looks like trading what's most important for what's most attractive or what's most emotionally appealing. And anytime you do that, life will not work for you. Because it's always choosing what seems important instead of choosing who is actually important. The story goes on to tell us this in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Because that's something that happened. It was common for God to come and walk with them. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, and man said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, this is, this, is like, this is like Adam being a toddler. He's hiding from God, but he's not very good at it. He's not very good at hide and seek. He hasn't learned that if you're hiding from God, when God calls out to you, you don't respond, okay? He's hiding, but he's not very good at it. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? See, this is interesting to me. What we know of God is that to God, what had happened was not a mystery. What had happened to God was not a mystery. God knew exactly what had happened. But God is still asking questions as if he doesn't know. It's almost like God knew that people don't respond well to a judgmental accusation, but are open to a conversation where we keep the relationship going. God knew, but God didn't attack. God knew, but God did not attack, which is interesting. And maybe, just maybe for us who are Jesus's followers, maybe if we want to start drawing people toward God and drawing people toward Jesus, we should follow God's approach to sin from the very beginning. God's approach to sin and to sinful people from the very beginning, that we can know and not attack. We can confront lovingly, but make sure we bring a lot of the lovingly with us. We ask questions and we have conversations. Verse 12, we're told this. The man replied, the woman you gave me to be with me, 
She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. In other words, God, it's her fault and it's your fault. It's her fault and it's your fault. It's not my fault. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In other words, it's not my fault. It's the snake's fault. Here's the thing. From the first sin, our response to our sin has been to avoid and assign blame. Our, our, our first response to sin, your first response to sin, my first response when I sin, everybody's first response throughout humanity is not to go, you know what? It was me. It was my fault. I, I, I take full responsibility. It was, it was me. Leave, leave, leave her out of it. Leave him out of it. Leave them out of it. This one's all on me. No, from the very beginning, We've been doing this, and it has not done humanity one bit of good. Pointing fingers at others is a great strategy for getting the spotlight off of yourself, but when the spotlight is off of yourself, you still have to live in the reality marked by your sin and your choices. Passing along the blame does nothing to change the fact that there are still consequences to deal with. Saying, well, no one is perfect doesn't actually justify your behavior before a perfect God. And so our response has always been to avoid blame and to assign blame to someone else, but it has done nothing good for humanity. So in verse 14, we're told this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow, and you will return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. And this is just important. When you choose created over creator, what you were created for becomes more difficult for you. See, I believe, I actually believe that everything God just described here was a natural consequence. It's the natural consequence, the natural outflow of breaking relationship with God and breaking relationship with human beings. Notice they didn't just break relationship with God. Immediately after breaking relationship with God, they start breaking relationship with each other. Adam and Eve start blaming and pointing fingers and pointing fingers and, and assigning blame. They start breaking relationship with each other. Everything starts falling apart real quick. These are natural consequences that the very things that they were created for all of a sudden become more difficult without the connection to the creator. This is a natural consequence. This is like when my, when my, when my daughter, when my toddler, when my three-year-old noble, when she's, when she's you know, doing that thing where you know, toddlers like to tip their chair back, you know, and so she puts the chair and now it's only on two feet and she's tipping it back and I'm saying, baby girl, you got to put that, that chair down on, on all, all four feet. And she tips it back and she tips it back. And eventually as she tips it back, what happens? She tips too far and she falls down and she hits her head and now she's, she's crying. And that is not a punishment. That's a natural consequence. And because I'm a loving father, I have to pick her, I have to pick her up and scoop her up. And while she's still in tears because she's hurt by her own choices, I have to explain to her and make the connection for her that you, unfortunately, sweetie girl, you, you are hurting right now because you made a choice that has natural consequences. This is why we've got to keep all four legs on the ground. This is God, as God is explaining what's about to happen. God is explaining what the natural consequences are. He is not, he's not letting them know this is your punishment. These are the natural consequences because they had never experienced natural 
consequences of a choice that broke connection with God before. God was actually being a loving father explaining what they would experience moving forward. And then we're told this in verse 20. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing then from the skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. One last, one last really big, big important truth. God was willing to kill something that he had created and called good in order to create a covering for sin and shame. I mean, imagine the pain that this caused God. Not only had the pinnacle of creation that he had designed for relationship with him had broken the relationship with him, but in order to cover their sin and cover their shame and cover their exposure, something else good that God had created and something else that good that God had called good had to die in order for God to create the covering for their sin and their shame and their exposure. And God was willing to do that for the man and the woman that he had created. And this is a foreshadowing from the very beginning of what God was willing to do to cover the sin and the shame and the brokenness of humanity. This is on a small scale at the beginning of time, a picture of, God, of what God would eventually do with Jesus on the cross. See, on the cross, God took Jesus who knew no sin, who was only good, who was his perfect son, and sacrificed his perfect only son to provide a covering and an atonement for the sin of all mankind so that we could have a chance at connecting with our Heavenly Father. See, God did that at the beginning. He did that at the cross. And the covering for sin and shame that Jesus made available on the cross is still available for you today and for me today. Story wraps up in verse 22. It says this, The Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. See, eternal life, knowing only good, was fine with God. That if that man and woman could have lived life eternal, innocent, pure, knowing only good, in perfect communion, in perfect community with each other, with God, and with the world that God created, never knowing defeat or disease or decay. And God would have been absolutely fine, and God would have been absolutely pleased to allow humanity to live in that world forever, to experience eternal life in that world. But eternal life, knowing good and evil, was something that God spared humanity from. God did this because God is good. Imagine living for eternity, knowing heartbreak, knowing decay, knowing your body is aging and aching and weakening, knowing pain forever, knowing that the world is broken beyond your ability to repair. God spared humanity from that because God is good. And while life is a gift, eternal life in this world would have been a curse, and God spared humanity from that. God protected humanity from that. So to answer that question from the beginning, what, what happened? What happened? Here's what happened. Man sinned, woman sinned, and sin kills and breaks everything and everyone it touches. When sin entered the world, it broke everything, and it's been breaking everything ever since, and every decision to sin has further broken the world that you live in and has broken your own selves. 
and has broken our own selves. That every time we choose the creation or choose the created over the creator, we sin against God. We miss the mark. We miss a relationship with God. We break the relationship with God. And in doing so, we end up breaking relationship with everything else around us. Sin kills and breaks everything it touches and sin ruins and destroys everything it touches. This is why I have told you before, the real problem of sin is not that sin makes you bad. All of humanity sins. We are no longer in good or bad territory. We are all on the side of bad. We're just in different varying shades of bad, but we're not in good or bad territory. Sin does not make you bad. Sin makes you dead. Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. Sin breaks you. Sin breaks you and it kills everything it touches. Sin will break friendships and break families. Sin kills reputations and kills influence. It kills everything and it would kill everything until someone stepped up to reverse the curse and provide a way out. And sin will continue to kill everything it touches in you until you embrace the plan of the one who reversed the curse. So, how, so how, do, how do we reverse the curse? We literally reverse the curse. Here's how we reverse the curse. Number one, you own up to your sin. So you can blame your way away from God. You cannot blame your way back to God. Your home, see, here's the thing. your home that you grew up in, it may have been messed up, but you also know that you've done some pretty messed up stuff yourself that has nothing to do with the home that you grew up in. You, you, you may have had someone who did something horrible to you along the way of life, but you also know that you've done some horrible things that, weren't, that had no connection to that. See, at some point along the way, until you can own that you are a sinner, you will never understand and never acknowledge your need for a Savior. You can blame your way away from God, but you can only come back to God taking responsibility for your own actions and, li- and looking at God and saying, God, look, I know what I've done. I acknowledge that I have broken relationship with you, that I've broken relationships with others that, you, that you've put in my life. I have broken so much and sin has broken so much in you. I need a savior. So you own up to your sin. You accept the savior's sacrifice. See, in the garden, animals had to die to provide a physical covering for the shame and the exposure of man and woman. It was a picture. It was God foreshadowing what he would ultimately do and the length that he would go to cover our sin and our shame. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of every man, woman, and child that would ever live and breathe. He did that for every one. And he did that for you. He did it for everyone, and he did it for you. God sent his only son to live a perfect life, to die die an unjust death, so that we could know and receive the goodness of God. And you can receive that today. You own up to your sin. You accept the covering that God has made for you. You accept the Savior's sacrifice. You can make that decision today. You can return to your Heavenly Father today. He made the way available for you. So you own up to your sin. You accept the Savior's sacrifice. Number three is you trust God's goodness. See, no relationship can ever be good and solid without a foundation of trust. In fact, the relationship broke and sin entered the world because of a lack of trust in God's goodness. But the relationship can be restored and can grow as you choose to trust that not only does God know best, but his plans are best because he is wholly good and his plans for you are always good. You can trust him entirely. And the final thing that we do is we follow God's way to real life forever. We follow God's way to life forever. This is the final step. This is the ongoing step. 
this is the ongoing step because at the end of the day, this isn't about a one-time decision, a one-day decision. It's about a lifetime. And it's about a lifetime leading up to life forever. It's the decision to trust and follow today and to trust and follow tomorrow and to trust and follow every day until our last day. That's how we reverse the curse. We own up to our sin. We accept the Savior's sacrifice. We trust God's goodness. And then we follow God's way to everlasting eternal life forever. This is literally God's plan to reverse the curse, to bring you and to bring humanity back to Him. It was His plan at the beginning, and it's His plan for your new beginning. And I hope that you will choose to embrace that process today. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that while we broke everything, thank you that our choice to sin, thank you that humanity's choice to sin as it broke everything, God, thank you that in that moment, you had a plan and you were willing to make a way that it did not have to stay broken that humanity did not have to be forever broken and forever distant from you, but that you have been pursuing us and that you've been creating a way for real, back to relationship ever since. Thank you that Jesus went to the cross. Thank you for the early pictures of the links that you were willing to go to cover our sin and shame so that we could still know you. And God, thank you for Jesus on the cross, the ultimate length that you were willing to go, that you sacrificed your own perfect son on a cross for my sin, for our sin, to cover our sin and our shame so that we could know you and have a relationship with you. God, I pray that we would begin the process and embrace the process today to reverse the, the curse. I pray that we wouldn't avoid blame and assign blame, but that we would own up to our own responsibility. I pray that we would accept what Jesus has done for us as the perfect sacrifice for sin. And I pray that every single one of us would trust your goodness and would trust your goodness every day for the rest of our lives and follow you into eternal life. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Help us to have wisdom to know what to do. Help us to have courage to actually take the right steps. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.